You've got your Bible open, that's really good at 1 Corinthians 15, we'll look at that in a minute, but before that, could you turn to Luke chapter 24, please? Luke 24. Remember, for those of us who were here on Friday, I told you we were doing Easter, part one. And today it's Easter, part two, the empty tomb. We're just going to read a few verses uh, together. Chapter 24 of Luke, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they, they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleaned like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they went back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, on Friday we, we left the scene, didn't we? The scene in the garden, in the, in the I guess you'd call it a cemetery today, uh, where the tomb was. And can you remember the last scene of, of, that, of that event? Anyone remember? Mary and the other ladies, what were they doing? They were sitting, weren't they? They were sitting opposite the tomb. Very sad, very sad situation. That's where we left it on Friday. And I said to you, didn't I? They didn't know, but we do. They didn't know Sunday was coming. Well, here is Sunday for them. This is Sunday for them. And they, and they, as was customary, were going to prepare the body for a proper burial with spices and, and, and different things and, and, and as it was the custom. So, so the, these women, they were then mentioned to us there, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other that were with them, they went to prepare the body for a proper burial because it was done in a bit of a hurry, wasn't it? Because it, it was the Sabbath going to be happening and they had to get the bodies off the cross into the tomb and then go and celebrate the Sabbath. Now they were going down to the tomb with all the all the necessary things that they had to have. And as I said to you on Friday, you know this the the, the event, this event, the, the the death and burial and resurrection of Christ is in all four gospels. And so you pick up in all the four gospels, you pick up little bits of detail. That uh, not in every single gospel, but you get a fuller picture. So they went there. Now, now, can you remember 
what we read on Friday. Can you remember, if you haven't, if you weren't here on Friday, the story? There were, there was a guard. Not a guard, but a, a, a contingent, a contingent of, of, of soldiers, Roman soldiers, you know, good, strong, fighting men. Guarding that tomb, wasn't it? And there was the seal of the governor, wasn't it? On, on the, on the tomb. So if anyone interfered with that seal, death. And it would have been pretty swift too by the hands of those soldiers. So here are these ladies, they're walking down to the tomb, expecting to see this. And they get there and it's not like that. They're also expecting to see or to find a tomb that's occupied. Yes? That's what the spices were for. Going to go and prepare the body properly for burial. That's not what they found. The shock and horror of these women when they got to the tomb. It was empty. Our brothers and sisters, you and I, this morning, we say, Hallelujah! He he is risen! He's alive! That's not what it was like on the the first Easter Sunday when they got there. That's not what it was like. Doesn't make sense, does it, if it was like that? There was no guard. There was no stone with a seal blocking the entrance. You know, I think it's in Mark. They tell, it tells us that they were talking amongst themselves. Who's going to move this big stone? That wasn't there in front of the, of the entrance. It was there, but it was over to the side. And there was no body. No body to prepare. Think of it. Now looking back, on history is always easy, isn't it? It's always easy to look back. It's always easy to look back on history and make assumptions. Oh, you know, they should have been aware that, you know, Hitler was going to do that. You know, they should have been aware that, that the Treaty of Versailles was too harsh. They should. It's very easy to make judgments in hindsight. It's very easy to be moralistic and have your opinions and attitudes, you know, looking back at history. But when you're there, at that particular time, it's not so easy, is it? And here, here is the scene of Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday we call it. They didn't call it that. They were just going to go down there and prepare the body of Jesus, their friend, their Messiah, their rabbi, their leader for burial. Dead he was, as far as they were concerned. If you could turn with me to John, we spent a bit of time on Friday just reading some scriptures, and I, I, I can't beat that. I really can't beat that. I'd like to read a couple of verses out of John for you. In John chapter 20, verse 2, so she came, that's Mary, came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Have we got that? They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. What was she thinking? Body's gone. Someone's stolen it. Someone's taken it. Verse 13 of the same chapter. 
They asked her, sorry, uh, is that the right one? Yeah, that's it, sorry. Uh, so, so they had taken, taken the body, oh, and she says, and we don't know where they put him. Now, it was supposed to have been a guarded tomb. Why would she have thought these things? Well, Jesus Christ, he had enemies. He really had enemies. You know, in those days, and in, and in, and in, you know, the mid, the medieval times, and probably even in a little bit later, when you finally killed your enemy, you just didn't give him a proper burial. Do you know what they did? They would parade it. Even David, King David, oh, he wasn't a king then, he chopped off the head of Goliath. And what did he do with it? So there was fear that perhaps some of Jesus' enemies had taken the body. Maybe there were people who had just desecrated the body, uh, the, the grave. You know, Jesus was a pretty notable person in Jerusalem and there might have been souvenir hunters, you know, that happens. Your brothers and sisters, the tomb was empty. There was distress and sorrow because the tomb was empty. There was no celebration. There was no joy. There were no hallelujahs. We read on in John chapter 20, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. They were both running. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen that were put, uh, that, that were there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that was around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up. Uh, by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Brothers and sisters, even today, there are people out there who don't understand who don't understand that Jesus Christ had to rise from the dead. They don't understand it. They may know about it. They may have even been celebrating it. You know, there are people like my dad used to do this. He would go to church with my mum at Christmas and Easter, you know. It's, it's a habit. It's cultural sometimes. And there may be people who have gone to church this morning Maybe there are some here this morning. They're here because it's Easter. You go to church at Easter and you hear about the resurrection and you know that, oh, this man Jesus, whoever he was, you know, whatever he did, yeah, he, they reckon he, he was risen from the dead. He, he, resurrection, you know, you, you hear about it. But do you understand it? Do you understand it? The people we've read of so far this morning they didn't understand it. We read on in chapter 20, 
The other disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Not for joy, brothers and sisters, she was crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the, at the head and, one at the other, and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Still, don't understand. At, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She, but she did not, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, I love that, Mary. And the way he said it, with a, knowing who she was, knew her, and with the affection that he would have had for her, she knew who he was. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. Man, Easter Sunday has just taken a big turn for this woman. I have seen the Lord, she says. And she told them what he had said, the things that she had said to her. The tomb was not only empty, brothers and sisters, but Jesus was alive. There's a big difference, isn't there? You can have an empty tomb for a lot of reasons. As I explained. But to say that Jesus, the one that was in the tomb, the person who was in the tomb, is now alive, that's a whole different story. Yeah? It's a whole different scenario. And it's got significance. And I think for me, there are five things that I'd like to share with you this morning, very quickly. The five things that are significant. The first thing is, as we read there and in other places, just as he said, the people that went to the tomb were reminded that this was told to you and even Con mentioned it to us as well. They, they were told this. In fact, they weren't just told, they were promised. The Lord promised, guaranteed that he would rise again. Now what's significant about that? apart from the fact that you can have a day off on a Sunday, on Easter Sunday. And I love the part where, where it's the, the, when the, um, the angel told Mary about the, uh, the resurrection and she, she said, then they remembered his words. We can have confidence. I can have, I've got confidence that all the promises, all the things that Jesus Christ said he would do are going to be done, will happen, will come to pass. 
because of the resurrection, because of the empty tomb. That's my, that's my first tick, a tick of approval. I can have confidence because just as he said he was going to rise again, all the other things that Christ talked about and promised will also come about. And then there's the bodily resurrection. It, was, it wasn't a spirit. If we had time, we could read more where they thought he was a ghost, a spirit being. He wasn't a spirit. It was a body. You know, we read here, don't touch me, the Lord said. Don't touch me. Not yet. You can't touch a ghost. And it proves that he was, he was the living Christ. He wasn't an imposter. He wasn't someone masquerading. You know, there wasn't a body somewhere tucked around another rock and he, were, he was, the apostles had, had got someone from out of town to impersonate. No, that's ridiculous. This is the real living Christ. Not an imposter, not a false prophet. But the empty tomb, the bodily resurrection, ticks off number two. He's the Son of God. Number three, because of, oops, number three, because of the resurrection, I can have a, have certainty of my own resurrection. He will be raised up as I, as, uh, as, as, uh, sorry, he, he will, he will rise up as he was raised. We will be ri- raised up by, by God just in the same way bodily as Christ was. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians 15 and there's lots of other references too. And I love this and this is one of the reasons I wanted to say to Kat, thank you very much because we sang a little hymn there, the last hymn, I think it was verse 3, talked about the, the divine power that raised Jesus from the dead. The divine power, the spiritual power that that gave life to a dead body. That's the power, brothers and sisters, that lives in you and me this morning. The Holy Spirit. And the fifth thing, the fifth tick is the witness. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, and the whole chapter is a great chapter. If you get time, please read it today from 1 to 58. That it's the basis for the church and for you and I as individual believers to, to witness to the world that God loves, God forgives, God gives eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the basis. Because that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, didn't he? If the tomb had not been empty, Graham, you're facing vain. You're wasting your time here. I'm wasting my time preaching. If the tomb's not empty, then we won't have eternal life. So praise the Lord that the tomb is empty this morning. And it was empty. Why should we rejoice and, 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 and be thrilled that the that the, lead, that the that the tomb is empty. That Jesus was indeed raised. Why? Well, I'd like to just look at the very first one. Spend some time just looking at that. Just as he said, 
He said he would, he would, and he did rise from the dead. Therefore, all the things that he has promised would come to pass. If you, if you have, if you have a Bible like mine, and mine's not a special Bible, but it's just a, 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 a style where they have all the writing of Jesus, all the sayings of Jesus Christ written in red. There's a big chunk of red in the middle of John's Gospel. And it's all, and that's, I love that bit. I really love that chunk in my Bible because, because there's a lot of things the Lord said there. You know, in chapter 14, he said to the disciples that, that when he leaves, he's going to send somebody in his place, the Holy Spirit. Now, that happened as well. You know that. And it happened about 50 days after Resurrection Sunday at Pentecost. And you know, even though they had seen the empty tomb, even though they had seen Jesus Christ appear to them in the upper room and a few other places, as we had read in 1 Corinthians 15, and even though some of the disciples actually touched the Lord, one even supposedly put his hand or was invited to put his finger in the hand's nail print, even despite all that, even though, even though they, they watched the Lord being taken up and the angels saying, this same Jesus is going to come back the same way that you've seen him, they were still very timid. Very scared disciples, were they not? But the Lord said, when I go, I'm going to send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to do all these things. You can read about it. Teach them, remind them, strengthen, empower them. And at Pentecost, while they were sitting in that room with the door shut, fearing for goodness knows what's going to happen, and the Holy Spirit descends. What a transformation. What a transformation. Just like he said it would happen. These men transformed lives. They went out. Peter went out and uh, boldly testified in that sermon that we have recorded for us. Unbelievable sermon. Unbelievable. They went on and they withstood persecution and suffering. And all but one apostle, I don't know about all the disciples, but we we do know about the apostles, all but one apostle was martyred because of the empty tomb. Because they knew what he said was true. And, but wait, there's more in chapter 14. There's another thing too. There's more. Chapter 14, the Lord talks about, verse 1, talks about him going to the Father's house. And that's nice. And then he talks about doing He's going to the Father's house and he's doing what? He's preparing a place. 
And that's what he was telling his disciples. I'm going away. I'm going back to my father, but I'm going to be doing something. I'm going to be preparing a place for you in my father's house. And then he said, and I'm coming back to take you to that place. That hasn't happened yet. The doing bit's happening. But I believe, I believe all these things, I believe all that red writing in my Bible because the tomb is empty. Brothers and sisters, he said he was going to rise and he did. He said he was going to send a comforter and he did. He said he's going to prepare a place for me and he is. And he's coming back soon to take me there. What about you? If that's the same for you, then yes, amen, hallelujah this morning. But if it's not, have a think about it. So there is, there is, oh, I should have had that on. So there's a great significance to the empty tomb. What is the significance? I'd like to read to you another bit of the scripture. I make no apologies for making you look at these things because I just, the word of God just speaks for itself. But in Acts chapter 17, I love this because here is the apostle Paul. He went to a place in, in, in Athens, the uh, Areopagus, and on Mars Hill, and, and, and he talks to people who, who have no idea about God, the, the living God, no idea who Jesus Christ is. And he tells them something. And, and very quickly, he, he, he gives them the doctrine of God. You know, if you went to Kurong and got a, a book on the doctrine of God, it would be about this thick. Right? Two paragraphs. I love this. Two paragraphs. Anyway, let's, let's read them together. Two paragraphs. He says, chapter 17 of Acts, he says in verse, uh, we'll start from verse 22. Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found, uh, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unnamed God. Now, what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. And here it comes. The God who made the world and everything in this world is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as he needed as, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live, move and have our being, as some of, of your own prophets, poets sorry, have said, we are of his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's hand and skill. In the past, 
God overlooks such ignorance, but now, now, and the now there is the same now today. This is where we are as far as God's timetable is concerned. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Now people often ask me, brothers and sisters, how could God allow all the evil to happen in the world? Why doesn't God judge the really bad people? You know, the pedophiles, the drug dealers, the slavers, all the people that, that do all the really bad, evil things. Everyone's like, oh, that's not good. And what about Adolf Hitler, Rav? I love, there's three names that keep coming up. Adolf Hitler, Stalin and Pol Pot. What about them? Well, here's the answer. God has set a time an appointed time when he will judge not just Adolf Hitler, Stalin and Pol Pot, but each and every one that's ever lived. He will judge, God will judge and he will punish. And and we read there that, that he commands everybody, that's everyone in this room, everyone in the street, everyone in Australia, even in the world, he commands everyone to repent. Not an option because if you don't repent is what it says here, there's going to be a serious, serious consequence. Because no repentance or non-repentance brings about condemnation, judgment and punishment. Too soon. Because he's going to judge, he's going to judge the world and the individuals of, in the world by a man. And who is this man? I didn't finish reading, did I? It says here, For he has set a day when he, that's God, will judge the world with justice. There will be no appeals, brothers and sisters, at this time. With justice, by the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. The empty tomb, there it is again. And in Romans, if, and in a few, oh no, eight weeks we're going to start a, a, the study of Romans here as a, as a congregation, as a church, and we're going to look at some of these things. But in Romans just chapter 2, verse 16, the Apostle Paul identifies the man that God had raised from the dead to judge the world. And he says his name is Jesus Christ. That's who the man is. The man that was in the tomb, the man who was risen by God from the tomb, he's the, he's the one, he's the one, he's the judge of the world. The empty tomb proves that there is now opportunity for salvation because when he came way back at Bethlehem as a babe, he came to do what? To save, to save the world, to save lost sinners, to save mankind. That's what Good Friday was all about, that work that he'd finished, the work of salvation. And so now he's still the saviour. 
he still is willing to save anyone who repents. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? He's coming back, isn't he? He's promised he would. But he's not coming back to save anymore. He's coming back as the judge. You think about that. That empty tomb just doesn't tell you there's a saviour for mankind. That empty tomb tells you that that's the God, that's the man God appointed to judge the world as well at a set time. We read it, didn't we? That's God's mind. When he comes the next time, and like I said, he said he will, he comes not with grace, not with mercy, not with forgiveness. He comes as a righteous, holy judge. You know, we all hear of court cases, one just last week in the news. And you know, it was before a judge and there was guilt was found and a sentence was passed and we weren't happy about it. You know, we're, we're going to appeal that. Why do we do that? Because we all want justice, don't we? We want the right thing to be done. We want the bad things to be judged right and, and, and set right. We want justice. And that's how it's going to happen. God is going to, to, to judge justly all of us and decide eternal destinies. So, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, to me it's the Empty Tomb Sunday because that's what I appreciate the most. There's two significant facts. First of all, for the believers, is that it says in, and I don't have time to read these verses, but we did read some of them on Friday. It says there that all our promises for the believer, for the Christian, all of the promises of Jesus Christ are what? You know, Yes, in Christ. Even God is testifying to you this morning that you can believe and trust everything that Jesus Christ said. And why is that? Last week we we, we discovered that, didn't we? Because the very words, that chunk of red in John that I've been referring to is actually whose words? God's words, the Father's words that was given to the Son to pass on to us. A yes in Christ. God will raise up, raise us up just like Jesus Christ. That's what it says. That's what we read uh, last week as well. And then the, the grave or the tomb is not the final resting place for anybody. Not even Jesus Christ, is it? When, I, when, when you go, and I, I don't want to upset anybody here by saying this because you know, I've been and buried people that I love too. And when you go to the cemetery, to a funeral rather, and you go to the cemetery and, and the coffin is laid into the ground, and, you know, we say we lay people to rest and we do. But it's only for a period of time. And that's why when it talks about Christians in the Bible dying, God says they're just sleeping which indicates what? You're going to wake up? Yes. It's not the final resting place. It is a resting place, but it's not the final resting place. 
Revelation 20, 12 to uh, 15, I, don't, can't, I haven't got time to read all of it, but it says there that all the graves, all the tombs will be emptied and together with all who have rejected God's salvation through Jesus Christ will be judged. It's written in red. But there's good news. The tomb's empty. What does that mean again? There's a saviour. There's someone that can stop you from having to be in that place at Revelation. That can stop you having to stand before God and be judged. There's great news. He's alive. That means that not only is there a saviour, but he's alive today and he's still working as saviour now, today. And the fantastic news is he's able to save you because if he can save me, he can save anybody. He can save you and give you an eternal destiny. He, you would be part of that group of people where, that in, that where he said, "I go and prepare a place." Now he's, going to, he's doing it for Raph and he's doing it for Graham and Elizabeth and, and, and others, right? But is he doing it for you? That's the question this morning, because Resurrection Sunday tells you that you have the opportunity. That empty tomb tells you that Jesus Christ rose in order to go and prepare this place for his, for his people. Are you, are you part of that group? That's the question. And the fantastic news is that he wants to save you. But what was that command? We need to repent. If there's anybody here that's like that, wants to talk about it, come and see me or, or someone else from the church here that uh, you, you have uh, confidence in and we can chat a bit more about it. He's risen. He's risen. Josh said that uh, he, was, he was challenged and he, with what had happened in part one of, of the Easter story on Friday. And, and, and he just couldn't walk out the door and think it, it didn't matter. It does matter. He is risen. I'd like to ask you this morning, so what does it mean to you?